Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. Good morning. We are Deb and Steve Perkins, and today we'll be reading from Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep out loud, and they tore their robes, sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Steve and Deb, thank you for reading the scripture today. We appreciate you doing that. Nice job with uh, pronouncing all those names and places, by the way. Nice job. Really good. Thanks to Pastor Dale for preaching last week in this, this series. Last week was There's No I in Team, talking about unity, the unity that God intends for all of us and all creation. So I appreciate him doing that because Mary and I were out of town. I had a son uh, that got married in uh, Southern California, so we were out there for the wedding and all those festivities, and we had a great, great time. And uh, he married a wonderful young woman and looking forward to the life that they have uh, before them. So I don't know about you, but I'm watching Olympics on TV watching uh, whatever channels I can find it on. Uh, I watch sporting events that I don't watch any other time of the year, except for the Olympics, right? I don't know about you, but it's just fun to watch. It's just fun to watch. And so we're talking about Olympic faith in this series. And uh, generally, you know, the the camera is on the athletes when they win, right? They, They show the winners and the giant smiles and their faces light up. And they're, they're so excited that they won, especially those when they set a record, Olympic or world record, they just light up, right? But every now and then, you see the camera on those athletes that, that did not win. They lost. Whether it's in an individual race, or whether it's when they blew the whistle and the match is over, or uh, when the buzzer of the basketball stadium goes off, and you can, see, you can just see the loss. Right? And, and what you see, part of what you're seeing is this sense of powerlessness, right? Because it's over, and there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. And that powerlessness can be overwhelming. Because we really, I mean, we don't like the sense of powerlessness anyway, but we really don't like to lose. We really don't like to lose, and well, anymore, uh, we pretty quickly are uh, filing an appeal, or we're uh, you know, asking for a replay, we're asking for something to happen because we don't like to lose. We can't lose. And yet we all experience loss in life. Because those athletes that don't win, you know, for every athlete that, that gets on the medal stand, there's a lot more that do not. There's a lot more that do not. And we know about loss in life. I mean, we, we sometimes lose. That, that vision of the medal stand is gone and they have a loss. We've lost things in our lives, and, and so we have to ask, of course, what does the Bible and what does the Christian faith say about dealing with loss and grief? Well, the good news is there is life after loss. When I was just, uh, just really starting out in pastoral ministry, I went to a training. It's called License to Preach School. It's, uh, uh, Pastor Jan has been to it. 
Pastor Dale's been to it, and it's just kind of the basic functions of being a pastor. You know, things like, how do you conduct a wedding? What do you, when you're baptizing a baby, what, how, what does that look like? What about doing uh, a communion? And how do you do funerals? You know, at that point in my life, I had maybe been to two funerals my whole life. So I'm thinking of doing a funeral. So I was, yeah, I need to know. So at our training, at my, in my training, they loaded us up in a van and they took us to a funeral home. And we spent about two hours there. We did a tour of the entire place to see everything, what all happens, uh, how it all functions. And then we sat and talked with the funeral director, the funeral home director, for a while. And uh, toward the end of that time, he said, any last questions? And I said, yeah, yeah, I've got one. He said, as we've gone through all this, it's just, I've just become really aware that your work every day, all day, is dealing with people at at their most painful time in life. They've had a loved one die. And I said, and it's just sad. And, and I said, I'm just wondering, what do you do? Being around people in that situation all day long, every day, what do you do to keep from getting depressed? I mean, what do you do to kind of keep from just letting that affect you? And this is pretty much how he, how he reacted. What's the basis of our Christian faith? Now, don't you hate it when someone asks you a question and you know I'm supposed to know the answer to this? I know this. I know this. And I said, well, uh, the resurrection of Jesus. That's right. It's the resurrection of Jesus because there's always life after death. So when people die, they're just going to be home in glory with Jesus. And so we were, yes, we're around people who are sad, but we help just remind them that their loved one is now with Jesus and they'll see them again. That's pretty much his response. And on the one hand, I thought, well... That's right. But gosh, you just seem to gloss over all that pain. And it seems like there's got to be something more than just that. So, in the Bible, we have this wonderfully long story about Job. Now, I'll just, I'll just say up front, uh, Job was not a historical person. This is not a historic, factual event. It's a narrative written to make a point. You know, like Jesus telling the parables, tells a story with a, with a point behind it, a meaning behind it. That's what Job is. It's just way longer than Jesus' parables. So, so it, it's set up as a drama. And so the way it, it is, uh, the angels have come to God, and uh, Satan is among them. And God says to Satan, hey, what you been doing? I've just been roaming the earth. God says, have you seen my servant Job? He is faithful. Man, he, did, he just does it all right. And Satan says, well, yeah, because, you know, he's got life pretty easy. You've blessed him in such a way he's never had to struggle for anything. He has no pain. So if, if he went through a really difficult time, he would turn his back on you. God said, all right. You can cause tr- trouble in his life if you want to do that. Just don't harm him. So... The way the story reads, all this happened in one day. A servant runs into Job to Job and says, these bandits came and they killed all the servants out in the field and they've taken the livestock. And another one comes in and the, the crops have all burned up and another one, another one runs in and says, all of your children, his ten children, ten grown children, were all in the home of your oldest son and, and a great wind blew and the, and the house collapsed and they've all died. That's a pretty bad day, Right? But Job was faithful to God. So, another time, 
Satan and God are having a conversation. What you been doing? Ah, roaming the earth. Did you see my servant Job? He's hanging in there, isn't he? He went through a really hard time. He's hanging in there. Yeah, but he's not really hurt. I mean, man, if he went through some physical pain, he would, he would reject you. God said, all right, all right. You can do something to him, just don't kill him. You can't kill him. So he develops this terrible skin condition, as the story goes, that's painful. It looks horrendous. I had one translation talked about boils erupting on his skin. Just horrible, horrible stuff. His wife even told him, you should curse God and die. That's how bad it was. Well, that's when the friends come into the picture. They heard what was going on with Job, and they went to see him. And it says that even you know, when, he, when they got there, they, didn't, they could hardly recognize him. And when they did, and when they saw his pain and his anguish and all he had been through, they did those, those ancient gestures to indicate, I'm, I'm in anguish with you. They tore their clothes, they threw dirt on their head to indicate this is horrible, we are in anguish, anguish and we hurt with you. And they sat there on the ground for seven days and seven nights and no one said a word. And then Job finally spoke. And there's pretty much a chapter where it's just Job lamenting his situation. And then after that, the friends start talking. And then things kind of go downhill from there because the friends start trying to figure it out. Eh, there's got to be a reason for this. There's something. What, what did you do, Job? You must have done something wrong to cause all this. And Job's like, no, 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 I didn't do anything. Just all of a sudden these things happened. Yeah, well, sure. And, they, and then they argue for a lot of chapters. I mean, it's a long, it's a long book, and it feels longer than it really is. When you, when you read it. So they, they go through. Ultimately, Job says, you're right. Why would God do this? I've been a righteous person. I've been fine, and God does all this stuff to me. How could God do this? Why do bad things happen to good people? That's a very, very old question. Well, eventually God speaks up. and says things that helps Job to understand Job doesn't have the perspective of God. He doesn't have the wisdom of God. That, that, in fact, God is God and Job is not. And Job repents and restores faithfulness to God. You see, the, the whole the point of Job, or I, I guess maybe the question, the test that is expressed in Job is that when you've lost everything, will you still be faithful to God? Or is your faith in God based more on the good things and comfort of your life. If the comfort and the easiness and the blessings were taken away, would you still be faithful to God? That's the question of Job. So we're going to talk a little bit about our, uh, our sense of loss and what do we, what do, we do with this? Uh, and, and what are healthy ways to grieve and maybe even to help others at the time? So you're probably familiar with the stages of grief. Uh, this, uh, they've been out there for a long time. I often refer to them as aspects of grief because when I think of stages, I always think of this like a step-by-step process. You know, I'm here for a week, and I'll do this stage for a week. But sometimes you can make, feel like you've made progress in your grieving, and then you kind, of take, you kind of fall back and you go forward. There's no timeline on it. It can happen in different ways. But there is some, some fairly common ways that this shows up. The first is uh, shock and denial. 
You know, it's always that reaction of, no, that can't be true, right? That can't be true. You must be wrong. Not long after that, we get uh, anger jumps in. We're just mad, especially those tr- really tragic situations. And, and, when, and, we're, and we think of it almost like, like uh, in, in the story of Job. We think, you know, he did everything right. How could he die of a heart attack so young? I mean, he exercised and he didn't smoke and he oh, did all the things just right. How could... And we're just mad. And sometimes that anger just you know, shows up in other ways in our lives. We begin to bargain. God, if you'll just fix this, if you'll just take care of this, I will... And sadness happens, just deep sadness. Now, sometimes uh, that doesn't necessarily mean depression, but sometimes it can lead to depression, and somebody needs help with that. Uh, but it's just a deep sadness, and you're just, you're just sad. That's okay. You're, you're, sad. you're sad, rightfully so. But ultimately, you move toward acceptance. Now, acceptance doesn't mean that you like what happened. It doesn't mean you agree with what happened. It just means that you're now at a place where you can live life and make decisions without it being colored by the loss that you've experienced. I often think of it as a, as a scar. You know, we've, you had a deep flesh wound that very painful at first, and then it just makes you mad. How could I do this? And then you're kind of sad because now it's going to limit some things, but ultimately it heals, and you have a, but you have a scar. You still know what's there, but you get to acceptance. So, one of the things that I think is really, really helpful in all of this, this is what the struggle is with Job and his friends all through, is, is to really name the grief. What's really the loss here? Now, I know you may say, well, you know, it's loss of health and his children died. And, but even deeper than that, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll just briefly share, I mean, just to be transparent, you know, my, uh, my, my dad died 20, uh, over 20 years ago. And so, uh, so that was hard. It was, he was, it was unexpected. It happened pretty quickly. Um, and, you know, we all thought, like the rest of his family, he would live to 100. I just thought, no, oh, he'll be around forever. Um, so that, it didn't happen that way. That's a loss. But the more I thought about it and tried to understand my own grief, I began to realize that, that I had lived my life up to that point Knowing Dad was my safety net. But if I ever, if I, if, 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 just circumstances in my life really went bad, I made a stupid mistake, I lost all my money, I whatever. I knew that I could go to Dad, and Dad would love me, and Dad would help me. He wouldn't just fix it for me, but he would, he would help. And I, and I, it was that moment of realizing I feel like I'd have a net. So I had to see that, I had to face that, I had to name that so that I could begin to grow through that. So sometimes it's important to name what's, what's behind, just the, yeah, the presenting thing is the loss, what else is there? Important to name the loss. Now, how do we help others? I'm, I've been asked many times, you know, hey, Pastor Jeff, I've got, a, I've got a friend who's gone through this thing, what do I say to them? What do I do? Well, a good first step is uh, what Job's friends did. Sometimes just going to be with. Sometimes you say, I have no words. 
but you're just with them. But notice the friends also felt his pain, right? They were in anguish with him. That's the difference between sympathy and empathy, right? Sympathy is more of, oh, that's, that, that, must, that must really be terrible. I feel so bad for you. Empathy is, oh, this is horrible, and I hurt with you. So going to that place with somebody who's been through loss is really valuable, and sometimes just being there is all you need to do. I often think of the, the golden rule in this, in this situation, among others, and I think, you know, if, uh, if, I'm, uh, if I were feeling a certain way, how would I want people to act around me? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people that if I'm really sad and someone just keeps trying to cheer me up, I'm like, God, quit trying to cheer me up. I'm just sad. It's okay. So sometimes, what would you want, how would you want to be treated? And to think of that, and to try that with your friend who is hurting. And simply recognize they're going through the, the stages of loss too. And to be hopeful, and at the same time, understand where they are in their loss. Now, we Christians believe that even in loss, there is restoration. We believe that there's this thing called restoration. We don't know how it's going to look, but it kind of goes to uh, several of the teachings in the New Testament, things Jesus said, things Paul said. Here's a, here's a definition of restoration. To receive back more than has been lost to the point where the final state is greater than the original condition. So, the idea of being restored. Now, it doesn't mean it just fixes things. It doesn't mean that everything's just back the way it was. But to be restored. Now, Job is the example. After he returned in his faithfulness to God, it says Job was restored, that the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. The Lord blessed the later part of Job's life, and the former part he had thousands of sheep, thousands of camels, of oxen and donkeys, and he had seven sons and three daughters. Job saw his children and their children to the fourth generation, and so Job died an old man and full of years, full of years. A rich, satisfying life. So funeral home director is right in a way. There is life after death. That's right. There is resurrection that we hope for. There is the eternal hope. But it doesn't change the loss. Because even though he had seven sons and three daughters who died, and then he had seven sons and three daughters later, it's not the same sons and daughters, is it? There's still that. So we have to understand to get through grief and get to that point of acceptance and trust in God for what will happen next because it does not eliminate the loss. So you might remember in the first uh, message in this series, I talked about uh, Abby Diagostino, uh, the women's 5,000-meter runner. In the 2016 Olympics, she and Nikki Hamlin of New Zealand got tripped up and fell in the race. And, uh, and it was Abby uh, D'Agostino who, you know, shook, hey, come on, come on, let's go, let's run, let's run. And so they finished the race. And, but Abby D'Agostino, of course, had torn her ACL, um, but it was very inspirational to Nikki Hamlin. And she talked about how much that meant to her to have that girl shaking my shoulders saying, come on, let's go, we can do this. So 
The Agostino, of course, had a choice. What am I going to do now? I tore an ACL. Am I going to keep training, try again or not? So she decided, yep, I'm going to try for the Olympics, Olympics again. So she um, rehabbed the ACL. She started training to get ready. Even though she was the, she's the most decorated runner in Ivy League history, she ran for Dartmouth, had won multiple events over the years. But, yep, I'm going to try again, get to the Olympics. Trains and trains and trains to get ready for 2020. Right, pandemic, so it's put on hold. Some athletes were wondering, do I go ahead, do I not? So she decided, yep, I'm going to keep going. Even though she would be 29 years old at this point to run in the Olympics, I'm going to, I'm going to make it happen. So she did. And so she's running in the semifinals at the Olympic trials in Eugene, Oregon, just a few weeks ago. And you might remember the oppressive heat that was there at the time. Just super, super hot, way hotter than normal. And she was running in, in a semifinal, and... Um, and she wanted to meet the Olympic standard. You know, the Olympics say, here's a time that you should, you should beat that time to qualify for the Olympics. So she was determined to do that on that hot, hot day. And so in her heat, man, she ran. If you, if you like running, if you like competition, you ought to go find that on the Internet and watch because it is stunning the way she ran that race. Just stunning. Won by at least 100 yards just, and, and met the Olympic standard. Met the time. Meant she's in the finals now, in the finals of the Olympic US, U.S. Olympic trials. So they get to, to the finals, and she runs a good race. She runs hard. The top three are going to get to the Olympics, and she comes in fourth. Fourth, by one second. She comes in fourth. After all that work, after all that hopefulness of I'm going to get there again, after all the training, after all the encouragement. Nope, she's not going to Tokyo. So this is what she put on her Instagram about a week later. Holding together both disappointment and joy. It obviously stings to come that close to a dream, and yet running the Olympic standard, being in contention for a team after years of hardship, the way all of it unfolded is genuinely more than I could have asked or imagined according to his power. God is way too faithful not to be praised even in the near misses. We may write good fairy tale ending stories in our minds, but he writes the very best ones if we're willing to endure, to trust that when it feels like Good Friday, we know it's not the end. I've felt so comforted and loved by the outpouring of heartfelt encouragement over the past week. Thank you. All those who have covered me in prayer, God heard and he was moved. I felt a strength and peace beyond understanding. To all the never-leaving people, I love that phrase, the never-leaving people, whose belief in and with me has never shaken. None of this was possible without you. I love and need you more than words can express. There is life after loss. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, people of such faith as Abby, who clearly had faith in you that even in the tremendous disappointment after all those years of not getting to go to the Olympics, that she put her faith in you and sees new life even in this loss. We thank you for that example. We thank you for the story of Job that helps us to understand that when we go through things, it's, it's, it's just life. And in that life, you're right there with us. And you're going to help us through that. And we're going to learn and we're going to grow. So God, we thank you for the life that you have given us and the ways that you surround us with your love 
and your comfort and your support. We pray this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.